You should be reading I Quirky Girl by Autumn Simmons, a witty and humorous memoir and brainy essay penned by Autumn Simmons from her early life, pop culture, religion, feminism, race, and relationships. I Quirky Girl by Autumn Simmons is available via Barnes and Noble and worldwide for ebooks and beyond. Enjoy I Quirky Girl by Autumn Simmons. Autumn Simmons, and we also have a guest for today. We have Jonathan Reese, who is an author and also a journalist who is joining us. And how are you, Jonathan? How's it going? Well, first of all, thank you for having me and for the yeah, nice thank you. Intro. <laughs> I appreciate your interest and and thank you for reading the book. I really appreciate that. All, all things considered, I'm I'm hanging in there. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm glad to hear from you as well. And I'm learning that you like cheesesteaks in Philly, because that's where I'm in Philly right now. I love, I love, love, love cheesesteaks. Jim's is my favorite cheesesteak place, personally. I think it's 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 the best of all the ones I've tried. But yeah, I, I, I love Philly. I think it's such a good city. It is, it is. But do you have cheesesteak in New York as well? All the cheesesteak in New York is trash, for the most part. Um, <laughs> Like there's a bunch of places, there's a bunch of places that open and they say that they have, you know, Philly cheesesteak. None of it's anywhere near as good as, as any of the 
cheesesteak in Philly. Um, there was a place called 99 Miles to Philly that was okay. And there's a place called Fedorov's in uh, like near where I live in Brooklyn that is decent. But I, I mean, Jim's, Jim's is just so, so good. I love Jim's cheesesteaks. You like the uh, hoagies? What do you, when you say hoagies, what do you mean exactly? Well, the Philly hoagies are also, they're not like the Philly cheesesteak, but it's still like bread, but you can have just a hoagie where it's like a sub. Basically. It's like a sub. Yeah. It's a sub. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm from New Jersey. So, um, I I grew up eating lots of, of subs, like Italian subs, but you guys have, um, the roasted pork is like a is very much a philly thing um the roasted pork it does exist but i don't know if it was just philly philly though <laughs> yeah yeah no uh so like roasted pork with broccoli rob is a distinctly philadelphia thing um apparently hmm. uh and it's good i mean I, I like it it's not something you can get here but like italian subs and stuff mm -hmm. yeah those are big in, in new jersey X's Look at Me. And this book came out last January of 2020. And June. Uh, it, it came out in June. It came out in June. I'm like, sorry. Uh, it came out in June yeah, of 2020. Mm -hmm. How did you know you were going to name the book X Look at Me of all the things that you could have called it like X question mark or X 17? What was it that you wanted to title it X Look at Me? um that's a good question uh so like i guess when it it happened very quick that like th this book being a thing and when it was first like oh someone might want you to write this book um i had to put together you know like a page or whatever about what it would be and look at me was just the first thing that popped in my head to be honest um and there were times when i wanted to change it and they were like no you can't change it that way um but eventually uh the book ended up being about at least in my opinion uh x's generation as much as it was about him like it's i think it's very much a book about this very unique generation and um it it really ended up being meaningful sort of um kind of magically it ended up having a lot of meaning in terms of like what was important to x and to his generation and what they struggle with um and also you know uh similarly when i first started working on the book i i'd never written a biography before uh and i didn't know what i was doing uh, like i just didn't know how to start and i called a friend a colleague that works in books and I was like I don't know what to, how to start this this thing uh what do I do and he was like you know just listen listen to his music as just meditate on his music like listen to it all day for a couple of days and um and I did that and what I realized was the song titles in order by album they sort of like magically became an outline for his life like they they sort of laid out the narrative of x's life so yeah it had this sort of kind of spiritual feeling of like i was like marinating in his songs for days i didn't know what i was going to do i didn't know how to organize it and it just sort of appeared through his music it's good to know there was a certain point at which 
I definitely had to question and people, you know, basically straight up asked me like, what, what place is it of yours to write a biography about a young black man? Um, and like, and that was a very legitimate question that I had to think about a lot. And like race came up a lot too. Like, you know, I read the audiobook uh, for this and I really wanted to read the audiobook because I like reading, like, you know, I have a, you know, I, I did theater and stuff like that. So I was excited to read it, but there was a lot of language in the book. Like I realized after I asked if I could do it, that was awkward, you know, to, to for me to be reading. There was definitely, I mean, look, a, a biographer's job is to portray someone's story. It's not for them to, you know, have firsthand um, knowledge of that story. Um, so as I guess as long as one, you know, does that justice at the end of the day, that's what matters. Um, but in, the, you know, in the case of X, I wanted to do it because I didn't think anyone else was going to. And ultimately, nobody else was going to, um, you know, maybe they would have eventually. But I, I sort of felt like there was in these years after his passing, there was this question of what of how he was going to be remembered and what his legacy was going to be. And I think a lot of people would have preferred for it to have just been, you know, a blip sort of. And I felt like having a biography about this person that, you know, was honest and did justice to his, you know, his ability and his, his upsides and his downsides would, would matter in terms of, what his legacy ended up being. Um, and I just tried to represent or, or interview people who could speak to that and also really delve into his culture. I mean, there's a lot about his, his heritage uh, coming from a Jamaican family. And a lot of people thought that it was sort of unnecessary uh, to go as deep into Jamaican culture as the book does. But um yeah, I don't know. Did you find that part interesting? I or? did. I found that very interesting. And from the book, and also when I watched some of the interviews that Jose was in back in 2016, 2017, and 2018, where he talked about the fact that he does have a Jamaican family. His mother and father are Jamaican. And you can hear when they speak that they sound Jamaican. <laughs> you can hear it. Um, so it was interesting to hear him talk about what it was like to grow up in a Jamaican family, uh, even if it's Jamaican American or just having the Jamaican, including like his grandmother, he lived with his grandmother as well. Well, you know, one of the things that, that was, that I wanted to know more about, um, in doing this book was this question of whether or not um, he was homophobic. Like that was, I had a lot of questions in writing the book that I wanted to see if I could get some clarity on. And one of them was, was he this, this, this homophobe? Um, and, you know, there is this sort of correlation for some between uh, Jamaica and homophobia. There, there are issues on the island uh, with homophobia. Uh, one of the people that I interviewed for the book was somebody who was active, who was, you know, basically an LGBT activist in Jamaica. Um, 
and you know he lent some outside of lgbt issues even he really lent some major insight into what it's like uh you know being living in jamaica living in america being from jamaica um he made some some really interesting points uh it's like the culture is so unique and so pronounced and yet you know there's so many issues attached to you know being so many issues attached to african diaspora and what it's like to be from a place where you know the history is sort of erased that he really spoke to um but that question of homophobia ultimately you know that's a big that's something people sort of associate with his legacy was he was this homophobic person especially because he told this story during the uh, adam 22 interview that was really violent um but according to pretty much all of his friends that just wasn't a part of his personality i mean he had the ability to be violent towards people he had the ability to be mean but he didn't pick on people because they were gay or because they were black or white or nerdy or that just really wasn't part of shit sorry uh that just really wasn't part of who he was he also had way more gender non-conforming friends than i think most people or most people that i know have at least um yeah so that was that was one of the interesting things was that the sort of media construct of him being this raging homophobe and homophobia possibly being you know something that he had experienced a lot growing up um, it, it wasn't really part of who he was. Tentacion, did you know much about XXX before you met him or did you ever meet him or was it just someone that you you didn't know much about him but you found out about him after he made transition? I'm just kind of curious. I knew about X probably early in 2017 before 17 came out um, but more or less after Look At Me blew up the way that it did. Um I, I try to sort of keep abreast of what's happening in music in general, but especially in, in hip hop. And I can't remember exactly how I, I ran into X for the first time. I think it was like, you know how Facebook started doing that thing recently where like, or not that recently, but where if you watch a video that someone shares, it'll just keep playing stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so that was happening. I just happened to watch a video someone shared who is in the hip hop world. And I think the next thing that came up had to do with X or was him talking. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm no- First of all, that guy's name is really weird. And he's got like a cool sort of image. Uh, you know, I wonder what his deal He just looked different, you know. Um, and I'm always excited if something seems different, which most people in music in general, just, you know, aren't, I I felt like I should also add, like I've been writing about hip hop for years Mm -hmm. before that. And Mm -hmm. I just was so bored with, with rap music in general at that time. I was bored with most music at the time. Um, And nothing had interested me to the point where I wanted to 
pitch about it, write about it. Um, so yeah, so I see X just sort of randomly and I pull up a song and I was just, I mean, I was blown away. It, it's, it was like an amalgamation of hip hop in general, which I, you know, which I had always loved, but like with really intense, like hardcore and punk, which people had tried to do before, but it had never been, it had never received anywhere near the attention that X was getting. And it was just, it just never in, in the way X was doing it or as successfully as X did it. Um, so I, I was just, I was just incredibly drawn in right away. And part of what's so compelling about him is, you know, he puts his whole narrative out there right away, like good or bad there's so much to know about him right off the bat because he's such an open book. Um, you know, I think like, I think X was smart and savvy in a lot of ways that people don't really give him credit for. But one of those ways is I think he was very cognizant of having a narrative that, that would fascinate people and sort of building a, a legend around himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was around the time that I found out about X for the first time. I'd never met him. Uh, I, I never interviewed him. I wasn't working at any hip hop magazines at the time. Um, so it wasn't like I was regularly interviewing rappers. Um, and then basically what happened was uh, I was at a point in my career where I had done some work um, where it made sense for me to get an agent or a manager of some kind and uh in one of the meetings all right set up some meetings and um one of the places where i went they specialized in books about musicians and i'd written a lot about music and the guy asked me you know if you were going to write a book about a musician right now who would you want to write about and i just he was the first person i thought of at that point like i i'd started to really become a fan of his um and that was like two weeks before he passed away i was curious to know whether or not you had knew about him before he had passed away um but i had not listened to x's music until i knew about him through youtube and i was seeing um look at me but i had never listened to the song and it wasn't until he made transition on, I believe it was Monday on June 18th of 2018. And that's when I was finding out that he passed away and I was very curious about him as an artist. And when I was looking in like just short films or just videos of him as well and speaking through Instagram and you know a lot of the fans, he was very onto online and just communicating with a lot of different people online and whatnot and seeing how a lot of people had recorded him and you saw so much about him. It was kind of learning more about who he was through himself and just his own his own personality of what he was like and in, in that short amount of time, how he seemed to develop within that period. And I'm speaking of that time specifically, talking about from 2016 up until about 2018 and and so forth after that there were other things that would come out about his music etc I don't like to say a fan but I became interested in him as an artist and I wish that I had 
listened sooner before he had passed away because I, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen. I was born in like early, like 1980. And so there are a lot of like hip hop artists, you know, when I was a kid, I've listened to hip hop throughout my life. I came up during a time where the most popular ones were like Tupac and um, Biggie, you know, big, they, we were, we knew a lot of them as well. And there are plenty of them that we knew about as well. But learning more about like Jasse, even being a younger artist, it was kind of cool to know a little bit more about him. And it wasn't just rap. It wasn't just he could do emo. He could also sing. There are a lot of things about him that I thought made him very unique as well. As you were mentioning, you saw him as a unique artist as well. I'm a couple years younger than you, but I'm, I'm like generally, I'm your generation. And okay. so I'm like old to be a X fan for sure. And, you know, I, I, I hate being someone who's like the music the kids today listen to is all bad. It's all crap. It all sounds the same. Like that's, I never want to be that person, but I did kind of feel that way at the time. Um, and, you know, X, he was just, he's someone who you, you could be a fan of his, whether you're really a hip hop fan or not. Like, I, I think, I think he just really fascinated lots of people, uh, whether it was from like the the variety of the music he made or just, you know, who he was as a person. Like there was a lot to engage with, with, with Jose. And um, just to like sort of round out how I ended up writing a book about him or the, by that day when, when he transitioned, um, I had become a big fan of his and some other rappers that he was sort of associated with. I'd become a much bigger fan of Denzel Curry because of him. And I just, I, you know, I, I related to him in this really weird way. I, I sort of, you know, he was very controversial at the time. And there were all these people writing think pieces and op-eds about him, basically saying like, we, we have to stop like, putting these types of people on a pedestal we have to stop writing about people like this and giving them fame like this kid is bad news and I was I was so taken aback by that even though you know I was aware of of what the why he was controversial and, and what he did but like it was so weird to me to see somebody who was being I mean it was almost universal amongst media people that he was just bad and that is like not just that he was bad as a person, but like his music was bad, which which seemed like an you know it seemed like all critics basically agreed that he was just to be ignored. And um, and I felt like even though he did this thing that that I find so abhorrent, that the sort of blanket um, dismissal of him was just so weird. And in some way, I felt uh, I related to him. Uh, I felt like. I felt like I, he was somebody who had been so swiftly judged as like a bad person. Mm -hmm. And I, I think like growing up, I sort of felt that way at different times that I was, that I had been sort of cast as like a bad kid. And, and that's interesting that you say that because I think that many of his fans, I think they perceived him differently as opposed to, like you mentioned, different persuasions, uh, like all kids of all over that were into Jasse and, and they just, they rock with him. It's like they, they could see themselves, you know? And so if they're kids that kind of experienced some of the things that he got involved in, some of them did, maybe not all of them, but some of them could have been like that as well. Whether or not he was a good kid or not, 
I don't even know if in the industry, like what are, what are we deciding on what that means about like a good kid or a bad kid? Because in fact, he's been to jail and, and things of that nature, but yet at the same token, you know, he, he was permitted to come out and to be known, you know? So it was just kind of like the, those perceptions that people have. I mean, there are many artists, especially like if they're not just hip hop artists or rock artists, they have the go through these types of difficult lifestyles that they've had in their life. Um, and it, and it's not any, and we could look back in like the, the kids or from the seventies and they would hang out and, you know, they had those types of artists that were on drugs and they would be out there. They were known. And it's like, how is it any different from the kids that we see of this time as well? Well, yeah, I mean, that's I'm a big believer. There's a quote from John Lennon in the book who and the book makes this point really early on. Um, John Lennon, look, and I really want to be upfront about the fact that domestic abuse is 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 a terrible thing. Actually, what he did was awful. And it, it's completely inexcusable. And, and I don't want to come across like I'm minimizing it in any way. And, and, you know, I don't think that there's, we can talk about this later if you want, but I don't think there's any room to, to act like it, those things didn't really happen. Um, but, you know, with the point you're making about, you know, rockers in the 70s it, and, you know, rockers in general, I mean, it's, it, it's definitely true. I mean, I, whether people like it or not, there's, um, there tends to be some correlation between being a little bad and a little fucked up and being, you know, a good artist. Uh, you know, it's not always the case. You don't have to be, you don't have to go through bad experiences to make good art, but it just, you know, it often that's, that's, you know, there's some correlation between the two and, John Lennon has a quote where he says, I, I can't remember it exactly, but you know, it's nobody talks about the fact that John Lennon had a history of domestic abuse. Um, people tend not to talk about that as much with people in that are outside of hip hop or people that are white, uh, you know, older people. Um, and these are people who did all those things as adults, you know. Um, it's so hard to to like remember sometimes when I was writing about Ja and when I think about him now or talk about him, he was a fucking kid. Like he was a child. Mm -hmm. the, the shit that I did when I was his age, the stupid shit that I did, like if that was all documented, I can't even imagine. He also agreed to share that about his life as well. Like he, for some reason, he chose to be open about what his life was like. Do you think that maybe he shouldn't have shared some of the things that he shared in those early interviews from 2016? What do you think about that? I mean, you know, it's like, Josh said it's like the bad and the good are are so entwined. Like uh, he, it, you know, I said that thing about like narrative, like there's so much for fans to learn about him and to say, you know, that his personality is so out there. Like, yeah, maybe he shouldn't have shared all that stuff, but that's, that's why people felt so connected to him because he was so genuine. He, you know, to say, to talk about all these things that were honestly happening in his life at the moment or had just happened and be so forthcoming about it. Uh, you know, like in a world where music and entertainment is so sterilized often or like focus grouped, he did not have any record label saying, you know, don't do this, don't say this. He was just being so uh 
you know, forthcoming. And that's why I think so many people liked him, you know, felt so strongly about him. Mm-hmm. When I began uh, really interested in him as an artist, it wasn't so much about the music. It was some things that I was hearing him speak about, about uh, spirituality and uh karma and and these other types of things and you were talking about how he's a smart kid i don't want to call him a kid let's call him a young man he was 20 when he left but he was very smart uh very intelligent very very intelligent and if you know those had a perception of him i I think most people knew he wasn't a, a, a stupid person you know even if he was a kid that went to jail and you know he left high school as well but if you just listening to him I was like oh my goodness I didn't know that a 19 year old had this perception of the things that he would learn about and talk about even when he went to jail what he learned about how things work in court and just in general going back and forth in jail just the things that he knew about and his perception of there was some special things about him. And I knew he wasn't a perfect person. There's no, no one's perfect, but that kind of, it inspired me to want to learn more about who he was and additional music would eventually come out after he made transition and he just had so much work. And when I say so much work, it was maybe not, you know, for the next 10 or 20 years or 30 years, like Michael Jackson or like Prince, but still there was a lot of what he was able to do for those who were a part of his legacy as well. And not just the legacy, but the generation that he's from, this was the generation that they were a part of, just kind of similar to going back to what we were talking about with like Tupac and all the other rappers that we've had, or just not even rappers, just artists in general that we were really into when we were younger. So this is the artist that was to be the one that they would just be into, giving the impression that he knew that that was going to come at some time, but he didn't know exactly when. But I don't know if the fans thought that this was going to happen as soon as they thought it had happened. By that time, I had been listening to him a lot. I'd been following the story. And I just, you know, of all the things that, like, I feel strongly about, I think that people have the ability to change. Like, I think that's one of the things that I feel most strongly about, um, you know, criminal justice reform is important to me. Um and when I, you know, I heard about all the things that he did and saw the fans that he had and had watched interviews with him. And I just felt like there was more than, than that person in there that like to make the, the, the work that he did, that he had to be a fairly deep and sensitive person. And, you know, I would talk to my girlfriend about it a lot. And, I, and I'd say, you know, this, this kid is really interesting. Sorry, I keep calling him a kid, but uh, this artist is really <laughs> in- interesting. And, uh, you know, he keeps getting in trouble. And I feel like he's got, I feel like he's got so much potential. And, um, and when I, you know, when I, I was sitting in a cab on that day, on the day when he passed away, and I remember seeing it on Twitter and it just crushed me. It's not like I was his biggest fan. Like, you know, I was interested in him. It's not like, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't obsessed with him or anything, but I, it just felt like a punch to the gut when I saw that he had died. And I thought about all the young people for whom he is, you know, a Tupac or a Kurt Cobain or whatever. And, uh, and I saw all these people saying things like good, you know, and, or like changing his Wikipedia to say he was a, you know, a woman beater and glad he's dead. Uh, and 
I just couldn't imagine. Like, I remember people crying when Kurt Cobain died. It, to see it the way that those kids did, it, it was just so, it, it just took me aback. I, I, and I was just like staring at my phone in disbelief and, and I felt so sad about it. I wasn't sure why. And I guess that's what, you know, a couple weeks later, uh, I got a call from that guy that I met and he said, you know, somebody's interested in you doing this, this X book. And at that point, it just became the reason why it was important for me or why I felt like it was worth it to try to write the book is because of a couple of reasons. But the main reason, the main reasons were I wanted to know whether there was, you know, whether he, there really was, whether he was trying to change, like whether he was just a split person, like type of personality where he could do these really wonderful things and be really kind and, and brilliant, but also be you know, hurtful and, uh, and, and abusive or, you know, just what it was that was going on with him and whether there was, whether he was trying to change his life. I wanted to figure out whether there was something that I could glean about the generation younger than me uh, from understanding him, because in a lot of ways, he seemed to really represent what they were struggling with. Like you asked before, whether it was smart of him to to be so forthcoming in those interviews and share that stuff. Mm -hmm. He is, you know, having your dirty laundry out in the world is such a, it's such a thing that they have to deal with all the time. Like mm -hmm. that, you know, they put everything up online and that's just the way it is. Like A lot of the, uh, the younger generation, they were very open. We didn't have that type of social media. And so, what I found very interesting was when Jasse or X would become very well known within a small amount of time, it was interesting to see how, even though he was becoming more famous, the fame would change things in his life as well. It also affected his relationship with his best friend, Ski that affected their relationship. They had known each other before they were known. And so they had actually met each other in uh, Broward County when they were in, if I'm not mistaken, if they were in jail when they first met each other the first time. And they both knew that they wanted to, to be rappers or to be artists. And this is what they, they really wanted to do. And so they knew about this and they knew that they were gonna do this some kind of way, how they were gonna do it. They knew that they would having SoundCloud and, and just how people can become known through SoundCloud. And that, that occurred with him with this Look At Me song that Jose had. I think I had a lot of questions when I went into writing this book about who he was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was this, surprisingly, you know, there are people I talk to who really write him off, uh, music critics, you know, people in the journalism or music world, especially. And, um, you say, like, when I mentioned him being smart, you were like, of course he was smart. But surprisingly, I talked to a lot of people who sort of assumed that he, he wasn't so smart. Um, not only, the thing is like, he, he was obviously brilliant, um, but he was also like kind of a nerd in a way that I yeah. didn't expect. Uh, <laughs> like he was, he was a music nerd. I mean, like he, one of his producers would talk about how he would spend all this time looking for the perfect uh, soundtrack to play video games. And it would just like end up being something he would never expect John to listen to like Pink Floyd or something. Um, and, you know, 
he was really interested in super, you know, you talked about him being into karma and stuff like that. He was really in, interested in like these really esoteric subjects that, you know, that certainly like lots of smart kids get into, I guess, but like he would, he would delve really deeply into them. Um, and he, he wasn't a good student necessarily, but he did really take to certain subjects. Um, I think history and uh, English sometimes, like he, he could really perform in school when he wanted to. You should be reading I Quirky Girl by Autumn Simmons, a witty and humorous memoir and brainy essay penned by Autumn Simmons from her early life, pop culture, religion, feminism, race, and relationships. I Quirky Girl by Autumn Simmons is available via Barnes & Noble and worldwide for ebooks and beyond. Enjoy I Quirky Girl by Autumn Simmons. It doesn't mean that they're not smart and they're not great at what they're doing. It's just sometimes they're not really into the way that we were taught when we go to school. And, you know, sometimes when they're like kids, if you want to call them indigo kids, there are things that he saw as a child where people could be very, very violent, even, even with the other kids, like the kids could be that way with other kids. And, and if you didn't know how to defend yourself, you could be harassed, bullied, or someone could do things to harm you as well. You know? So it's like, I was aware of that. And, and that typically is how it is in some environments where you're bullied, you know, and if you don't know how to take care of yourself and defend yourself, people would do that to you. You know, I've seen that. I know exactly what that's like. But I was thinking about Tupac as well. He was like that in a sense, similar in that regard and very similar and also had to go to jail maybe at a different time. But he was another kid who was really smart and he knew things, he could understand things. And, and if they had conversations, you would hear that they knew much about what we, what people didn't think they knew being smart from reading a book, but just their perception of understanding what's going on in our world. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like, I, I think that artists, most, most types of artists, there's, there's sort of a quandary of, do you want to spend all your time living life so that you have things to make art about? Or do you want to spend most of your life learning how to be a good artist? And I think everyone has to grapple with that in, in, to some degree. Um, but there are these people who end up being really influential artists that are this sort of unusual mix of both. And like Tupac's a great example. Like I love, I love Tupac. Um, but after he passed, when I found out more about his life and found out he was like a theater kid who like loved acting and went to a special theater school, uh, and that like really, it made a lot of sense. And it really sort of, I guess, like brought in my understanding of who he was, but he also, you know, really lived. Like he really had genuine, often hard experiences. And I think, you know, to the extent that Tupac and Ja are similar, that might be one of those similarities. Um, he, you know, he really was into like odd esoteric stuff. He was, I'm sure if indigo kids are a thing, he was definitely an indigo kid. And, and he was definitely aware of that stuff, I know. Because mm -hmm. he, uh, um, when he dyed his hair, 
that that deep blue color that was sort of the the meaning behind or it was part of the meaning behind why he dyed his hair mm-hmm. um but yeah you know he he was some of the things that I really liked that I learned about Ja, um, you know, when he when he was younger, was first of all he would befriend the weirdest kids in school. Like he would go out of his way to do that. And it's not that he was necessarily perceived as like a dork or something. I, I'm sure he could have been, you know, one of, like accepted by cool kids and just been like sort of a normie if that's what he wanted. But. Uh, According to everyone I talked to that knew him during, you know, middle school and early high school, he would seek out the weirdos. He wanted to know the kids that were that were alone, or he wanted to help. Uh, one of his close friends from middle school says that he was just constantly bullied until Ja became his best friend, mm-hmm. and then he would protect him. Um, and and he also didn't seem that sort of hyper aware of race in, in a place where, you know, race is very uh, pronounced, you know, there's like major diversity in South Florida, but there are people of all different backgrounds and there tends to be some sort of, you know, separation and especially in you know, public schools. But he, you know, his best friend was this fat dorky white kid as he put it in, when I interviewed him and, um, you know, he wanted, he had this violent side, but he often would pick on bullies in, in at least early on. Like he was like Dexter for bullies. <laughs> like he would just, you know, bully other bullies to stop them from bullying the kids that were sort of his friends. He was a really unique type of, of artist, I think. Like he was one of those people who uh, had this just like, I guess, this what's the word the life craft um balance with him was was really just i guess right to to make someone who without who would make sort of generation defining work i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah sorry yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's all cool. And, you know, I was thinking about him as well when I'm talking about Jose, but there was this other one specifically called Revenge that had music, I think about nine different songs, including some of the other songs he had on Look At Me as well. And But the music began to become better uh, with the 17 album, which came out in August of 2017. And you know, I think more people in who were the fans in particular began to like what he had and other people who were, they had this, this perception of him as this new artist as well. I think they had more, uh, they just viewed from looking at Revenge versus 17, I think they saw that he was coming up and not just referring to him as like a rapper, but just an artist in general, because he wasn't just a rapper as well. And so when he had this opportunity to be on XXL freshman 2017, I thought this was like a really grand thing for many uh, rappers in the beginning to be a part of this as well. What was your perception of the XXL freshman 2017? And what did you think about that and how he went from revenge up until 17? What's your perception of how the music began to sound and what the music was like in general? What did you think? 
I mean, it was, his life was just so crazy. Like during that time, I'm again, like with this whole story, so much happened. He made so much music and so much happened to him. That was dramatic and crazy in such a short period of time. So like, look at me blows up and he's in jail. Well, when it blew up and I, I guess revenge came out right after he got out of jail or I can't remember, it's been a while since I did the research, but either right after, yeah, right after he, he got out of jail. As far as like, I, it, revenge is sort of like a compilation of, of different songs he'd worked on over a period of time, which, you know, most of his stuff, I guess, kind of was because he had this like erratic way of recording music. Um, it's weird, like most artists you look at in terms of like how they sort of evolved over time. With Ja, again, it's like erratic, you know, his albums, like his studio albums, like 17 and question mark, have like a, a concept to it, I guess, you know, that like they're both, he was definitely going for something with both of those albums. But before that, it was it was SoundCloud. It was like what he felt like making at the moment. And sometimes he would put together, you know, EPs or mixes or whatever. But um, I guess Revenge sort of represents that erraticness. Like it, it was a lot of the best of what he had done that people fall in love with in terms of his music. Like it was so varied. You know, he, he had songs like, I don't want to do this anymore. And um, you know, riot. Just like he was just showing that he could do almost any style of hip hop and music outside of hip hop. And it was just all good. Like mm -hmm. uh, I think John Cunningham said as much and several producers that I have spoken to for the book just said the thing about him that was unlike anyone else was he could just do whatever he tried and it was good. Mm -hmm. I don't know how or why. Um, maybe it had something to do with all the weird, esoteric, mystical stuff he was into. Um, there's a there's a part in the book. There's a whole chapter in the book about like the the sort of esoteric stuff, the mystical, intrinsic stuff that he was into. Um, and there's a part where they talk about. Do you know who Joseph Campbell is? You ever heard of him? Joseph Campbell. No, who is Joseph Campbell? <laughs> who is that? He, he, he's a mythologist mm -hmm. and he studies like the stories of different cultures. Um, and he, he has this, I can't remember what book it is or, or what thing of his, but he has this thing where he talks about how uh, in more ancient cultures, like artists weren't really a thing, but shamans had a similar sort of role in society. Like they... They were supposed to, they were like sort of the, the storytellers. And the way they would choose shamans, the way they would choose the new shaman in a, in a you know, small village is they would take the kids of the village, the boys specifically, and they would send them on a, a walkabout in nature by themselves. And the, the kid that came back last, especially if they you know really pushed themselves and were gone much longer than all the other kids and if they looked like they had sort of see you know challenged themselves or were starving and tired when they came back that's who they would choose as the next shaman 
And the thought behind that was to be, to play this role, you had to be able to access and survive the spirit world, I guess, like, go, which could be translated to, you know, going through different difficult experiences and surviving. And I think that's kind of what he, what Jose did. In fact, Genesis kind of said something to me that I was surprised about. Like he, she said that he sort of knew that tough experiences and bad things happening to him would contribute to making great art. And, and sometimes it seemed like he went through those things on purpose. Mm -hmm. um, the relationship that Jesse had with Geneva and how, um, you know, this came out where it, it looked really bad for him because if it had been where he had to go to court, he would have not been able to just be an artist, he would just have to be in prison for a really long amount of time. And so a lot of that information, he wasn't in a position to really talk about it because he couldn't talk about it specifically. You know, there are some things that when, even when you're known, you know, when you go to court, people can find out about these types of situations if you go to court and people just can go and look at it and see what it was about. Even if you didn't want to talk about it, if you become known, people are going to look up this information and they're going to find out about it. I've read a lot about what happened between Geneva and Jase. I talked to a lot of people about it who went through it. What he did, I really want to be unequivocal about this. What he did was terrible. Okay. He did it. Mm -hmm. Um, like, there's no question that he did that shit. I mean, it, a lot of people met me after the book came out and they're like, are you sure? Like, is there any chance that, you know, she made it all up? Um, you know, look, there's always a chance, but it would have to be, it's just such a, it would, it would have to be such like a, you know, it, it's very, very unlikely. Um, but the thing is, I think it's important to, for fans to know that he did those things. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for fans to know or for, every, you know, for people to know that people can make mistakes, terrible mistakes. People can do terrible things and hurt other people. And often they hurt people that they love. And you know, it doesn't mean that those things always have to be forgiven people do have the capacity to change. And a lot of times capacity to make big terrible mistakes and to hurt us who also have the capacity to be very loving and to, you know, be important parts of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, with Jose, that, that did seem to be the thing. Like, and I don't know, I don't really think that's who he was. Although I did interview people who were like, he's the worst person I've ever met. I hated him. There was nothing good about that person. And I interviewed other people who said the exact opposite, who said, I don't believe he did any of those bad things. Not the person I knew. He was an angel. Um, and then there were people who, who were like, yeah, I, I'm sure he did do those things. Um, he, he was someone who had the capacity to be as awful as he was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, ultimately the third thing was the truth of it. Um, but, you know, when I went into it, I guess I wanted to find out the truth, mm -hmm. but I was hopeful that he was trying to change his life, that the things that he did to, you know, that, that landed him in jail, um, 
that he was trying to move away from them. Um, but, you know, if that didn't turn out to be the case, that's what I was going to write in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, truly believe from the people that I interviewed, from his lawyers to, you know, people he went to school with, to old friends, to, to new friends, um, I really believe that he was trying really hard. The truth is like a lot of domestic abusers don't, don't change, like they don't stop, but some do. Mm-hmm. And if you're that young, there's at least a better chance that you can. Well, speaking of that, the relationship that they had together referring to Jesse and Geneva, it seemed like Geneva, in spite of what occurred in their relationship, she just had a love for him. And perhaps they were kind of like, kind of karmic soulmates in some type of way, because even with what occurred, she still wouldn't leave and she would come to him and want to be with him. And they became friends. And when she found out that he passed away, you know, she was devastated. And then unfortunately there were the fans, mostly the males that were rude and very nasty to her as if it was kind of like, not that it was her fault, but it, they would use it against her for some strange reason as well. But the relationship that he had with another young lady, Genesis, the relationship was very different. It, it wasn't like what he had before. And so even though he was very young and maybe he didn't know Genesis as long, but it, they didn't have that type of relationship when he had a chance to become different, become better. I think he learned something based on that. What do you think he learned? You shared with us in the book, it seemed as if things had evolved a bit in terms of him as a person. Yeah, I mean, as far as Geneva is concerned, I didn't interview Geneva for the book. I wish I, I could have. Um, but she was put in a weird position, right? Like he basically made her a, a public per- personality mm-hmm. uh, just by making her the focus of like interviews and songs and uh, just by her being a part of, of this story. So like anybody who's put in that position, I, I really feel for, you know, like it's, there was no right way for Geneva to be. Like mm-hmm. fans were gonna give her a hard time no matter what she did. Right. She tried to drop the charges. They didn't let her drop the charges. She, you know, showed up at his, um, at his memorial and somebody just like started a fist fight with her. Like it, it's, People are fucking nuts, man. Um, and she really sort of saw the brunt of it. Um, and she continued, you know, she loved him. She loved him nonetheless, regardless of all they went through. Um, I don't think that's necessarily uncommon. I think often the people, they say like um, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's ambivalence, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the people that, we we go through beautiful times with are often the people we go through the really hard times with as well um so i think it makes sense that like you know she continued loving him long after his death uh and it must be weird like i don't know have you ever had a guy write a song for you you mean personally if i've ever had a guy write a song for me yeah. Uh, if I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know oh, if you do oh, guys, but yeah. yeah or well, have you ever had like a, a, a you know, a love interest write a song for you? 
Um, not yet. I don't think so. If I, if I, I haven't dated anyone who's a, a known person, an artist, I've never dated a known artist before. So I don't, I couldn't identify with that. But um, what I thought was interesting was this particular song called Heart Eater. And Janita, <laughs> she's in this short film or like yeah, it's a well, movie, the movie, she's in it and she agrees to be in it. And I don't think it's wrong that she still had like this love for Jasse because this is, if she loved him, she loved him. And, you know, it's just, if they were able to reconnect in some type of way with each other, it, it's between them as well. You know, I understand it's also you know, having this, this sense of that it's wrong to abuse people, but, you know, abusing is not always just physical all the time. It can just be emotional as well. There's a lot of type of abuse that is not just someone hitting them with their hand. We don't look at it that way when people are abusive, when they do it emotionally, just because you don't see it, they don't go to court over it, but it affects people as well, you know, and, and people can, can be that way as well without putting their hand on someone, they, but they can still abuse another person with other ways of how they do that. I had this assumption that maybe he was like that because I would hear it from other people, but I didn't even know him. And I, I didn't even have a reason to look at him to know even anything about his life. But the perception was he wasn't a good person. He was a bad person. And this is what he did to a woman who was his girlfriend that was pregnant. And so, you know, we were finding out that it did happen, but he didn't like the idea that it happened because it used to bother him. He hated himself as well. The fact that he wanted to move forward and, and not just live and have people just view him as this horrible monster for the rest of his life. And then he could never grow from that. It's kind of interesting because we have other individuals. Let's use like Malcolm X for an example. That's a complete different person, but we're using X, right? So X, the artist, right? Malcolm X. Malcolm X was a terrible person before he became Malcolm X as we know him. And for most of the people, because he had more time, he was able to evolve and to become someone other than what he used to be, that he was a horrible person in the beginning. Jasse didn't get a lot of time. Jasse was very young. Now let's say hypothetically, yeah. if he had been given more time in like five or <clears throat> 10 years or so, it would have been nice to see how he would have had that evolution to grow. And he didn't get that opportunity. He left when he was 20. He just turned 20 that year. It was January 23rd. He was born in 1998. And so, you know, that type of life. He had enough time to balance and to grow to some extent, but not in the way that we've seen others that had the opportunity to kind of grow up a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, he never even had, I mean, he wasn't old enough to have a legal drink. That's so young. I mean, I can't even fathom it. Um, I hope I wasn't okay. out of line asking you if somebody had ever written a song about you, but uh, the, the <laughs> reason I, I asked was, and I, you know, I haven't either, but you know, he didn't just write a song about her. He basically wrote an entire album about her. And it just happened to be right after he got really famous, you know. Um, that's, that's you know, that's an interesting position to be put in for sure. Um, she, you know, I, I didn't interview her, so I don't know her that well. Uh, but I know that her, her association with X is going to be a part of her life forever. Right? Of course. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But Genesis, you brought, you mentioned Genesis, um, and then 
I'll sort of circle back to what you were just talking about. But um, Genesis was a whole different story. Um, first of all, their their relationship seemingly wasn't nearly as, um, I guess, like, I don't know what word to use. There was a sort of even keel about their relationship. They were friends before they got together. Um, he was like settling into his life as somebody that was fairly famous and successful. He didn't know who to trust. Like he was actively reaching out to old friends that he hadn't talked to in years because he wasn't sure like, you know, which friends were real friends. Um, I mean, like even when he was rich and he had a mansion, according to the people I talked to, he just kind of stayed in his room and he just always wanted people to come to his room. Uh, to hang out with him like if you wanted to talk to Jai you had to come to his room and he he didn't want people to leave he always wanted you to stay in his room for as long as possible um and I think like she came during a time when he needed someone that he felt like he could trust who was loyal loyalty was something that was always really important to him according to the people I talked to um and I don't know I feel like I don't, I can't really like explain why there was such a vast difference between those two relationships. But I mean, the obvious answer is just that he matured a lot in, in that time, you mm-hmm. know, um, it, that, you know, the relationship wasn't perfect. Like they, Genesis and Ja, from what, from what I know, um, there were some crazy times. Like he was a really intense personality, but he was learning to channel the violent urges away like um Gekyum originally he explained to her was like a some like a force that was trying to keep him from doing bad things which usually meant acting violently um so he was like developing these coping mechanisms to to try to not do the kind of stuff that got him in trouble uh and he just like He'd always do these really, I heard all these stories from people I interviewed of just like really nice things that he did for people, like giving a random person a bunch of money because they were crying on the street. Um, there, were, there, His lawyer talked about how uh, he was at a Christmas party and somebody, you know, asked him if, about his new client, the rapper and their son overheard it and their son who was like you know 10 or something was a huge x fan so the lawyer calls up x on christmas eve not expecting him to pick up and x picks up and the kid and the lawyer's like hey there's this kid here at this party he's a huge fan of yours could you make his christmas and just say hi to him and he passes the phone to the kid and uh the next thing he knew the kid disappears and something like an hour later the party's ending and they go looking for the kids uh, you know all the kids because none of them are anywhere to be seen and they went down and I guess into the basement and all the kids were huddled around the one kid with the phone and an hour later they're still talking to X and you know eventually the lawyer took the phone and was like look, that was really nice. Thank you so much. And X was like, what are you doing? I was having a good conversation. Give the phone back. Um, He just had the capacity to be so kind to people, you know? Um, 
it's weird. It's, it's, it's weird to have the capacity to do things that are so that touch people in such deep ways and also have the capacity to hurt people so much. Mm-hmm. And if you're that kind of person and you can cut off the one, you know, that one end, the, the, the violent urges and just be that other guy. I mean, that's, you know, that's a great thing to be. And I think that's what he wanted to be. And he started to become that. That's, that's what I, and that's what I believe. I have another question to ask this question that you have about um, Jasse, because him being in the entertainment industry and becoming more successful as an artist and how other artists perceived him to be, when I'm talking about like the other artists, the ones who were considered to be a little more popular and just let's, let's go over X's perception and what occurred with him and Drake and what did you think about what occurred with him and Drake do you think it was something that was just within his mindset with those who knew him do you think that really occurred or or it was it true or what did you think about his understanding with what occurred with him and Drake other thing about x that I think I learned super smart to the point of like a little manipulative um and there's a lot of things that are like parts of his, like the legend of, of X that people who I interviewed told me weren't true, that he made up. Um, and part of it's like, you know, if I don't know if they were made up, if these people were telling the truth. Uh, but according to those people, the reason why he made these things up is because he was just very cognizant of, of making a legend of, about himself, of making a character, so to say. Um, as far as the Drake thing, whether he, I mean, I think he thought that Drake stole his cadence. Um, I don't, you know, comparing the two songs, yeah, I guess they're a little similar. He says that somebody had told him just prior to that song coming out that uh, Drake, like that Drake was a fan of his music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I think it, I think he actually was upset. For sure. I don't think he like made up that he was upset because he was just in a really fucked up situation at the time. He was he was in jail. And he felt like he couldn't sort of control anything. But I also think like the savvy side of him sort of popped up and was like, you know, if you call out Drake for stealing your shit and people take notice of it, that could be really big. So I don't know. I, you know, I, I think it was a little bit of both. I think he was mad at Drake a little bit, but he was also seizing an opportunity mm-hmm. and he did a good job. You know, I mean, it, it worked. Mm-hmm. Well, I had an opportunity to listen to this particular song that um, Drake had, and it was like the, the sound of it. Uh, it's like the way that it sounds. It was similar to look at me, but it wasn't look at me, but it was similar. And um, even though he didn't like, take the song, but the way that it sounds, sometimes a lot of the hip hop artists, they have a certain sound, you know? And some have an issue with other people biting from the sound that they have that's different. Like for instance, if you know of those who are from Atlanta or those who are from Florida and those who are from Chicago and those that are from like Los Angeles and those that are from New York, there's a certain sound that it has. And so with Drake, you know, Drake is Canadian, And even though he's from Canada and whatnot, but it's like the music, when he became an artist as well, he likes 
to just have a lot of different sounds, bounce around with a lot of different sounds that are out there, other artists. He does the same thing with other artists too. Like there's a song that it was another hip hop artist and in, it was their song too. He did the same thing with their song, but not to you know take the song as if it was taking it from someone else, but we knew who that song came from. That's a really good point. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Like hip hop is a sort of, it, it's an imitation genre right like uh like bodak yellow is supposed to sound like kodak black that's the whole point of like that's the whole point of the song right and it's a song that she you know really made her famous so yeah i mean that's that would definitely be a more positive way to look at it right uh, there's a good example of that what you just shared right there with kodak black and versus cardi b that particular song you were talking about right that song that right she, right exactly mm -hmm. but but i think x did specify that had he said like you know this is this is my version of like an uh, xxx tentacion style um flow then he, he would have been fine with it like I, I think that x was so unknown at the time that he would have had he couldn't just like jump on an x type flow and put it out and call it his i think he would have to sort of pay some kind of homage to this you know fairly unknown artist for it to be meaningful um, so yeah, I mean, look, if, if you really did hear the song and purposefully sort of copy it a little bit, then yeah, it was kind of a dick move on Drake's part. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Drake knew who Jasse was as XXXTentacion and he, he did an interview with someone else and they asked, did you know about XXXTentacion? He said that he didn't. He, and to me, from what oh, I saw, he was lying. He knew who XXXTentacion is because when they're in that industry, even though some are like, you know, known and they have more stature and, and that type of thing, they know who's out here doing what. They're aware of it. And you know, it's fine if he didn't want to acknowledge that it was him, but usually they tend to do that when someone's just getting known. And so when you're the person that has more stature, they're not going to do you that way. They're going to they're going to give you your your props when you've been in the industry longer than them. But if you're someone that hasn't been in as long as them, they're going to play you like that. You know, so I think I think Jose was telling the truth about that situation. And I think at the top. Well, I, I'm thinking that he he was a fan of Drake. And I think he perceived that maybe he would meet Drake in a sense where it wouldn't have been through that type of situation of someone knowing about him and, and perceiving that he was curious about him and possibly meet him. Maybe the extra stuff was a little, a little over the top of thinking Drake would go to court and, and take him out. Like, I don't think it, he was going to be doing all of that, you know, that type of thing. Right. Um, and he wasn't going to be like a friend. It doesn't work that way. He wasn't going to be a friend, but I could understand exactly about how he felt because he was in prison at that time. And it's the fact that was his song. And that was the song, you know, when you're in a situation like that, when you're in prison and you, you have this song and people know about this song and you can't get out just yet. And it probably messes with your, your mind in a sense of what's going to happen next. Know who I am when I come out. And so when he came out, you know, there are other types of songs that Jasse has that are unique. That is just, that's what he sounds like. He has his own sound. And just with the emo, he has his own style. He has his own right. style where it, it's like, so there's no one that could really take that from him because of who he is as an artist. You know, that's just who he is. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like they definitely, uh, if if like a really well-known superstar is 
I think that it's sort of known that they look through up and comers work for inspiration. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I do think that that is a possibility. And again, I just think you have to sort of keep in, keep in mind what was going on with Ja at the time. Like, according to his friends, he knew he was about to become famous and maybe he did in some like, you know, uh, weird uh, intrinsic way or whatever, but he had just gotten, he had just done a really terrible thing. His life was sort of going down this uh, downward spiral at the time. I mean, according to his manager, he he saw this change like in in X's eyes where he sort of became this other person. Um, the first time he, he said the first time he saw his hair in that black and yellow style that he had when he became famous, that he felt like something had overtaken him. And a bunch of people I interviewed, they thought they really thought that in one way or another, he sold his soul to the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, like you asked about the double XL thing before, and I totally forgot to answer it. But um, I, yeah, that one in particular, we I had an opportunity to see that one, and he does say that where he he, he bows on his on his knee, and the music stops on that part, and then he says what he says. What is your perception of that? Is that is that just fantasy, or or, or is that just to kind of you know make him look? A certain way so people will say oh my god this guy because it, it, even if it makes him look like he's a negative like scary type of artist just to get attention is that what you perceive him it's <laughs> like just trying to get some attention no I, I mean i think he was genuinely interested in um a cult okay ritual okay magic and stuff i mean i think that that was something that but first of all i think he sort of went through a period and look we all go through shit i mean some of us go through shit like this where we just sort of accept that we are on a self-destructive path for a while, mm-hmm. especially when we're, when we're younger. Um, and I think that he was sort of there. He was starting to, he was starting to get famous, but there was like this correlation between his getting in trouble and doing crazy things and getting more attention. And again, I don't know how aware he was of this, but he also, uh, he had some, interest in in occult stuff um he i don't know if he purposefully did some sort of thing but i think he accepted that he was going to be as crazy as it took and as self-destructive as he needed to be to become famous Mm -hmm. um and i think what happened with geneva was him you know, developing something of, I guess, an ego or like letting his, that plus letting his paranoia take hold just in terms of like people being loyal to him. Um, and he snapped and he did the worst thing he ever did to someone. Um, and he went to jail for it. Like he was looking at really serious charges and he had a pass. So he, there was no reason for him to think that he was just going to get out. You know, um, like it was just that thing of like, oh, I'm finally going to have to pay the piper for all the bad shit that I that I that I did. Um, so all of that, maybe he sold his soul to the devil uh, or maybe in just some like metaphoric sense he did. Um, and he's behind bars 
he, he's not really famous at that point. So there's no reason for him to think like anything's going to happen. That's going to get him out any sooner. And then he hears about the Drake song. Um, so he just like probably felt like he had no control. You know, you hear about people being in jail and like people stop calling after a while and like your girlfriend leaves you or your boyfriend leaves you. And uh, you know, it's just, you lose hope. So for him to be in jail and like feeling so out of control and then to hear something that sounded like him uh, out of Drake, he was, yeah, he was probably really pissed. Um, but it, um, I think, uh, shit, I can't remember, but I think he said that he saw the devil in jail. Oh, he um, said that. He said that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think he said that. And so like, you know, again, if you're going to like believe this whole devil thing, um, there's some version of the story where maybe he was like, all right, I've done a bunch of bad shit. Um, and now Drake has sort of stolen my, my cadence, but everyone, but it's just gotten me more famous. People are talking about me. They're talking about this song. I'm in jail and I'm now actually like very famous. Um, I'm just going to keep going in this direction. I'm going to keep doing the shit that I've been doing that got me to this point. Um, and I think that's what he had planned to do for a while when he, when he got out of jail. Like, again, he got out of jail probably earlier than he would have otherwise because he was getting famous and people wanted to pay for him to get out. Um, and I think he just planned to continue on that path. And according to some of the people I interviewed, they felt like the double XL thing was him doing that, was him saying, this is my big moment where I'm like getting all the clout that I want for doing all the crazy shit that I did. And now I'm gonna like give it over to this like darkness. Um, I don't know if that's really what he was doing. Like, I, I think the other much more plausible uh, explanation is that he was just like, you know, the more out there figure. Uh, Vanessa Satin from XXL said that she was, she's always interested uh, during the freshman thing to see who all the other rappers are interested in, who they want to talk to. Mm -hmm. And according to her, that was him. Like everyone was fascinated with what X was doing. And she also said that despite him being like kind of this dark persona, he was the most polite and like the one who called the next day to say, thank you so much. Um, so anyway, I, you know, there's some question as to whether he, whether that was this meaningful thing that he was doing in double XL or whether it was just, you know, to sort of differentiate him as, I mean, it was in line with, with his sort of style and aesthetic. Um, so yeah, it depends on how you look at the story, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but either way, after that, sometime after that, something happened, I think, that changed the way that he looked at all that stuff. Uh, made him decide to try to turn things around. But then also with him becoming famous, since we're talking about him becoming even more known at this point, and how even some of his fans, they knew where he was because I don't know, it was just because of having the internet through I don't know, Instagram or on social media, or whatever the kids are on, they had a sense of where they knew where he was gonna be. And so they would wanna 
find out where he was. And, and then this also had, you know, it was very complicated because when you become famous, a lot of times when people become famous, they're trying to balance it. And maybe some are not even trying to balance it, but it's just the perception is that if you're going to have a lot of people, when you go to the mall, for instance, and all these people are coming in and then they have to let the security guards tell them they're going to have to leave because it's too many people that are coming to the mall, et cetera, et cetera. And then it's like, okay, well, he's going to need to have some bodyguards because he's going to need someone to protect him if he's going to be famous. Like you just can't be walking around being famous and having all these people and thinking you could just walk around like a, a normal person, you know? And so I don't think that's his fault about what had occurred with that situation. But another thing that I wanted to share is that when a lot of people become known in the entertainment industry, especially when they come from like a certain environment where they didn't have the money that they used to have and then they get the money. So a lot of the kids, they're very envious and they see, you know, another kid coming up and they see that they've got money. And they, you know, with Jasse, we would have like his vehicle, like the, the Batman car, you could see the car. And, and maybe he didn't show exactly like the whole, the mansion, but the perception was he's making a lot of money. You know, and he was making, as you mentioned on your, your, your book, that all the money that began to come in with him being a millionaire at the age of 19 years of age. So how does that happen? Like when a 19 year old, even if they are also an entrepreneur as well, when they make that kind of money, you know, for some, it, it intimidates some of the others. And if they want that in some kind of way, you know, and this is what we end up seeing what occurred and not just in with Jasse, but other artists as well have experienced this as well, where people want to take something from them. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that made him, that made Jasse really unique, uh, especially in hip hop, was he wasn't all that, uh, you know, obsessed with like material things, especially, you know, compared to most other rappers, like you know, he bought that car and he bought a nice house, uh, but he wasn't like constantly flaunting all this stuff that he had now that he was rich. Um, but he did, you know, look, he did have that really nice car. Um, and as far as like what ended up happening, one of the revelations that came out of the interviews from the book was, um, you know, he, he really cherished the interactions he had with fans. Um, and he, he really loved that, that feeling of having like a really personal um, interaction with, with a fan. Like he, he needed the love that he got from fans. And as a result, he tried to really, you know, not just be like another celebrity encounter when he met people. Um, and according to friends of his, that's the reason why, you know, when people would keep saying to him, look, you've got to get security. You're, you're famous now. You can't just walk around without people watching your back. He always put it off because um, he didn't want fans to feel like they couldn't come up to him and say hi. He didn't want to just be another one of those famous people, um, which is really sad, but also, you know, kind of beautiful that that, that was his reasoning. Um, but yeah, I he... I think fame is difficult and it's especially difficult when, you know, your fame is somewhat tied to this behavior that's untenable basically. Um, but that's what he was trying to figure out a way in at the end to be Jasse and be X and have both those things sort of coexist. Like 
it in the book, uh, someone I interviewed talks about how he had masks made that he wanted to wear on stage so that he could only be this character that he considered X to be when he was on stage and then take it off and just be John Um So he, he, he was really being, I guess, like proactive in terms of trying to manage how to be like a healthy, uh, you know, famous person or like a healthy, successful artist, um, which is what makes it, you know, all the more sad that, that he passed when he did. Um, but also according to, you know, lots of people I talked to, he, he thought it was going to happen. He, he knew it was going to happen, which is, you know, it's creepy. After Jose passed away, they had already recorded this particular uh, video before he left. And so when we saw it after his funeral, we saw Sad, and it's like he, for whatever reason, he chose to have this this video to look the way he wanted it to look. And, and it's very, I wouldn't call it creepy, but it's, it's interesting that he would perceive that. So what did you think about Sad when you saw the short film of it? I mean, I think creepy is somewhat apt. Like when I... I think everybody that watched it when they first saw that his first posthumous video was at a funeral and he was in it alive, like that, you know, it, it definitely sends a shiver down your spine for a second. The theme of the video is exactly what we keep talking about. Like it was him trying to figure out a way to sort of wrangle this part of himself that he felt like he needed to be famous and to be the person that everyone, you know, was interested in. What's the line? There's a line in uh, Revenge. He's got a line that makes it like very clear that he knows that his being bad and crazy and doing all the things that make people say he's, he's bad and shouldn't be listened to is a big part of why people know about him. Um, and I think that he had gotten to the point where he didn't really want that part of himself. Like he just, he, I think he maybe wished that he didn't have to be um, beholden to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but he didn't know what to do about it. Like, and I don't know, I don't know if Tupac was at, did Tupac have a video where he was at a funeral? He did. He, it was similar. It was like the, the character of him had already passed away. It's called, I should remember the name of that song, but it's just, it was one where he made one about a friend. And in the end of the, the short, he's already passed away before he even passed away. And he's dressed in like this white outfit and he's talking to his friend after he's already passed away and he's talking with him on the other side but he can't see him that he's already passed away, but he's having this conversation. Tupac, he knew that he knew that was coming as well. And it was in other songs. And he was about, he was 25 when he left. It was a shock for a lot of people that he would die. He had a little more time because he was also able to do some other things as an actor. We saw him in about five or six movies in addition to the few songs that he had been in. Similar to like Jasse in a sense, similar in terms of the music, but you know, Jasse, I don't think he was interested in being an an actor. If he wanted to have been an actor, he would have been great at that because he's a beautiful young man. I thought it was interesting that he never chose to make that many short films, just very few on one hand. Look at me, that comes out the actual short film or video, which came out in 2017. And then he puts out the other one from 2018, 
and the ones that we didn't get a chance to see, but even Moonlight. Moonlight was made before he passed away. And it's the same outfit that he's wearing when he went to motorsport where he was assassinated. He was killed there. That same outfit that he's wearing. Very similar. Of course, he was content with making the music and having the music in the albums. But why do you think he didn't want to make more videos? I mean, I think that he he probably did. I mean, it's just, again, like everything that happened with X... In fact, like when I was writing the book, uh, a fact checker had to go through it. And the fact checker was constantly like, are you sure your dates are right on this? Um, And the reason why is because his life is just like, or the the story we know of his life just happened in such quick succession. He just didn't have much time really. Like, uh, you know, those albums came out so close to each other. Um, I think he probably would have made a lot more videos and I think you're right like he probably would have been a great actor um you know he Tupac was was a great actor um and yeah they're both like pretty you know they are both handsome individuals um but like I think the reason I think the reason why both of them are great actors uh sort of relates to why they make great music you know like a lot of it is about how deeply do you feel things? How empathetic can you be? Um, or I wouldn't have been surprised had he survived if he had gotten into, I guess, film and movies. Although I don't know that they ever would have accepted him into that world, especially with all the tattoos on his face and stuff. Um, okay, with the tattoos and everything. Yeah, and I see what you mean by that because it, it would have to change. A lot of the kids this age, they like to have all that on their face now. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, uh, but also I wanted to ask a question about when when Jose was being nominated for the one of the Grammys, was there a period of time that they were considering nominating one of those Grammys? I I heard about it after he left. You know, it's weird. Like one thing that I found out from from the interviews that I did was even though he knew that he was really famous at the end, he kind of like didn't believe it. Like I think he had self-image issues, which would make sense considering all he he went through. Um, So I think, you know, I think he did want to be famous. And I guess in the mainstream sense, like you mentioned the the videos and those videos are unique because he took control. Like he was, he really like created the story surrounding them and made them short films, not just music videos. Um, As far as like, whether he wanted to be sort of Grammy level famous, I guess he did, you know, like, Hip hop doesn't have that thing that like, I guess like punk has where, you know, mainstream success is like frowned upon. Um, and like, if you get a Grammy, you're suddenly not cool anymore or whatever. Um, but I don't know if it would have been super important to him. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to say, um, but apparent, but I don't know if they would have ever given him uh, they I don't think they would have ever given him a Grammy according to the interviews that I did the reason why he wasn't the Grammys came out and said like he wasn't considered I think Mm -hmm. the year that he died and people got upset and they thought that that was the Grammys saying like you know this kid is is bad news so we're not going to consider his stuff even though he's passed and that actually wasn't the reason according to producers that I talked to, 
apparently they just like snoozed on sending in the uh, whatever they had to send in to be considered the, the label did um, so that's why the that's why that album I think question mark is the only one so yeah I don't know I mean could you imagine them giving him a Grammy well I don't know if they would give him a Grammy or not because things are changing now with the Grammys. A lot of the newer artists are getting them sooner than they ever got them years ago. And it yeah, used to be, yeah, there used to be a time where you had to be in that industry long enough for you to get your Grammy. Now you can just put your first album out. And if you became popular and you're well-known, certain people could get their Grammy. And so it's, it's different now. And so with him winning the Grammy, I don't know if he would have won the Grammy or not, but we were aware that he won a Billboard Award, a BET Hip Hop Award, and also an American Music Award. And so it was yeah. interesting when he won these awards, they were referring to them as R&B albums or soul R&B albums in one for the BET, that would be the Hip Hop Award. And so I didn't have an issue with that because of the, his music would be all of that considered as well, you know, so... It's, it's typical, uh, but, you know, some, some of the music that he makes is not even R&B, is not even hip-hop, and it's not even soul <laughs> as well, but it depends yeah. what, like, I don't know if Moonlight, if I would consider that to be R&B or soul. I don't know if I would consider that, but Moonlight was a really good song from Question Mark. I thought that was a really good album, and I, I like both of them, 17 and that one in particular, when referring to Question Mark. And I thought it was unique to have like a album called Question Mark and you see this whole question. And I like that. And I love the way it looked for the album and all that stuff. And also when Skins came out, I thought Skins was decent. It was good, but I thought even the next album was even better, Bad Vibes Forever. And I thought that was really good as well. It was interesting that there were these other big artists that came on Kanye West and, you know, like, Little Wayne and some of these other artists that were like bigger to have been known for a while and they're now on these albums with Jasse or with XXX Tentacion. So 17, I love I love 17. I think it's such a good album. And I think it's it's so good because it's it's not like anything else. Like it, it's like a combination of alternative, like mid-90s alternative meets R&B meets soul and like it's just combined in a way that I don't think has ever really been done before mm -hmm. um and then question mark is like, the whole point of that the whole concept was just that everything was different like from one song to the next was going to be a completely different experience and that's exactly what it is like it's you know another great album I I really like skins and I also really like bad vibes forever I don't know if you know this, but uh, Bad Watch Forever gets a pretty tough rap uh, amongst fans. They they tend not to like it um, for various reasons. They feel like, it, you know, it's just sort of scraps of songs that he wouldn't have wanted out there. Um, and that it's too long and that they stretched it. I actually think there's some great songs on it. I think it could have been shorter, but... Um, yeah, I, th I think it's a really good album. I, and I think Skins is a really good album, too. You really like Skins. Oh, okay, I, I didn't know what you thought about. I like some of it on there as well. I don't know if, which one is my favorite because I like, I like them a lot. So I don't know which would be my favorite. He made a lot of music. 
and not just the music that we've heard, but the music that was out before it had that type of quality to it that sounds what we consider to be the, the more official sound of what it should sound like. But all of the music that he's made, he's made so much music though. It's just a lot of music that he made. Yeah, I mean, one thing that uh, came up in, in the interviews for the book was that he you know, had these songs that he'd put up on SoundCloud and he would take them down after a couple weeks. And he told early producers that one day he wanted his fans to trade those songs that he'd taken down, like, uh, like they were rare Pokemon cards or something, like really seek those, those lost songs. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, that's exactly what fans do. They are obsessed with finding those, those rare songs that nobody else has. Um, and that's incredible. I, for me, that, you know, just sort of foreseeing that and it becoming a reality, again, it's, it's just, it shows a lot of savvy on his part. What are the fans of Jasse? What's their perception of the book? X, look at me. What's their perception of the book? His fans are very intense. You know, uh, most of them, like, they've really, you know, they've really been loyal to him. It's not like, you know, he's like the thing of the moment and they move on to the next big rapper. Uh, they really keep him in their hearts. And because of that, like, the job was a big one. And I, I knew as soon as I started working on the book that like, if I didn't, if I didn't really work hard on it, they would know, you know, they would know if I cut corners, uh, they would know if it was like a, just like an obvious attempt to, you know, have some sort of success off of off, off or piggyback off his success or whatever. Um, you know, I wanted there to be a point to writing the book like that it, for it to be meaningful to someone. And I felt like, Nobody, no other music journalists were going to write a book about X in particular, uh, specifically, and nobody had really covered him in a way that at least acknowledged the, the fandom, like acknowledged why so many people liked him so much. So it was important for me to write a book where people, where those people who, for whom like he was inspiring got to, you know, get, I don't know, like get the treatment that they deserve of like, yeah, this is somebody who was a hero to you. Here's their story. You can read it and you can, and you can have this. It was really important for me that the, the, the hard stuff wasn't glossed over that it, that like, that, you know, the truth was, was portrayed at, as close to it as I could get at least. And I knew reading some of what they were going to have to read was going to be really hard. Like, if you're a fan of X, like, I think you'll love the book, but I think it's going to be tough to get through at times. Um, even for me, like, I, I said, like, I wanted to find out that he tried to turn things around. But there were times when I would, you know, learn about shit that he did where I was just like, oh, come on, please don't do this terrible thing you're about to do. I think we live in this world where people have this sort of angel devil complex. Um, you know, I feel like Trump is an example of it. Like people are either 
the worst thing in the world or they are the greatest. Um, there's just like not much of a sort of perception of the shades of gray. And um, what I really wanted was that people who hated Jasse and say it's like a mom who doesn't understand why her kid loves this artist so much who did all these bad things that they could maybe happen upon the book and see that like, oh, this was a really brilliant kid who loved weird things and was like a total outcast and, you know, sort of like helped kids that were being bullied and was just trying to express himself despite having a lot of obstacles. But I also wanted fans who thought that he was like the greatest thing to ever, you know, the greatest person to ever walk the earth and like the most brilliant, flawless human being ever. I wanted them to know that, no, he did some terrible things. Like he, he it happened while he was a kid, but he committed adult crimes, like thing, you know, crimes that really hurt people. Um, and that might speak to like, kids are growing up really fast these days. Um, I don't know necessarily what it speaks to, but um, my, for me, a, a, a success would be that, that fans understood better that he wasn't perfect, but you know, all their reasons for loving him are totally um, legitimate. And that people who thought that he was terrible would say, you know, have a, have a better understanding of why he was so beloved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's what happened. I mean, the, the reactions from fans have been really positive so far, uh, for the most part, there's definitely some people who, um, there are some people, you know, people are, are, are really intense about X. So, I have gotten some messages that have been like a little out there. Uh, there's some people who have sort of like theories about his life or his love life or his death that are, you know, they're pretty intense about it. Um, but I'd say 90% of feedback, maybe 95% has been, you know, so positive, so much more positive than I would have ex expected or even hoped for. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful to the XXX fan base. I've met some really, really awesome people having written this book. So. so thank you so much, Jonathan, for being on Quirk of the Day as we discuss XXX Tentacion X Look at Me, this wonderful book. And it came out last June of 2020. And, you know, so a lot of people, as you mentioned, are excited about this book, myself included as well. And um, I'm going to buy another copy of it. I do have a couple. <laughs> I'm going to get another copy of it as well. So um, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And, and for those that would be interested in possibly connecting with you or to learn more about uh, your website or social media, would you like to share that and as well for those that could hear that or understand or where you would want that information to be found? Uh, sure, yeah, I'm on like a little bit of a like internet fast right now, um, but I do have, I have all the things. Like I have a, I don't use Instagram hardly ever, but it's a John Reese, J-O-N-R-E-I-S-S-N-Y-C on Instagram. 
uh, John Reese on Twitter or at John Reese on Twitter. Um, and yeah, if you Google me, you can find me pretty much. Yeah, so thank you so much, Jonathan Reese, for allowing us to uh, have this wonderful chat with you about X's look at me and his experience. I'm gonna call it his experience when he was here. <laughs> just say, just say on, on Freud as well. Spirit definitely uh, affects people very much to this day. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, definitely about his experience overall. Girl by Autumn Simmons, a witty and humorous memoir and brainy essay penned by Autumn Simmons from her early life, pop culture, religion, feminism, race, and relationships. I Quirky Girl by Autumn Simmons is available via Barnes and Noble and worldwide for ebooks and beyond. Enjoy I Quirky Girl by Autumn Simmons.